This episode is brought to you by Allstate. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings vary and are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Hello and welcome in once again to the QB11 show and we have some big announcements for you today. I am joined of course as always by Andrew QB11. Why don't you get to it? Perfect. How are we doing today guys? Um, I just wanted to make a small announcement. Well not a very small announcement. Just a a partnership that we're going to be doing here going into the future. Um, We're going to be adding some more Oregon recruiting coverage to the podcast and so a big piece of that change in structure is going to be to we're going to be partnering with Scoop Duck uh, over on On3. So from now on it's going to be the QB11 show um, presented by Scoop Duck uh, which means that we're also going to have a very new and very regular contributor and a good friend of mine that I've known for I mean holy crap probably 12 years now at least uh justin hopkins who's with us right now um he's going to be doing like i think we're, we're still working out some of the details but uh he's going to be doing i think at least weekly segments with us kind of going over the odds and ends of recruiting the roster um whatever in whatever insider um stuff he can he can offer and then uh i i think that we're, we're going to kind of feel our way through the first couple months here and, and figure out a tempo of uh, how often we're doing these updates, how often going through the off season, there's going to be enough information to actually produce content on that kind of stuff. So, uh, but we're really, really excited. I know I speak for Doug and myself about this partnership and uh, scoop ducks. Great. They have all the best information and Justin is the most plugged in person in the Oregon market. So uh, we're really excited about this. So the same great show, but with more. Well, Justin, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks, guys. Uh, no, I appreciate it. Um, glad we were able to kind of work this out, um, you know, and talk through it. And I know, like you said originally, Andrew, you know, it'll kind of evolve a little bit and we'll figure out just kind of our groove and get going from there. But, um, you know, ultimately, I think this kind of combines the best of both worlds for for folks that do, you know, love their organ-centric podcasts. You know, I know you guys have been doing a great job. Um, people have enjoyed the Scoop Duck podcast as well that I was doing with Matt Bagley. Um, you know, Matt has some different work uh, requirements now that really made recording the podcast a little difficult. So, you know, it, this was just kind of a, a natural segue into, hey, you know, should we make another podcast so people are having to listen to four or five a week or should we just make one super duper awesome one? And I think that's kind of what we did. And uh, super, super excited to be with you guys on this ride. and. And I know that together, the three of us will, will, will work together, communicate, and, and give uh, Oregon fans the best podcast uh, available. Yeah, I agree. And I'm, I'm really excited, too. And I, I think that um, what might have otherwise caused us to go down to a one-episode-per-week tempo during the offseason might allow us enough content to actually stay with, too. So we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll see how long these things run now. Um, and, and just so that everyone's aware, too, like the, the stuff that we've been doing, um, the 
the annoying monologues by myself and Doug. They're not going anywhere. So <laughs> there's re- the, the only real substantive change to the formatting in the podcast as it stands right now um, is just that there's going to be more recruiting content, uh, which I think is really just going to make the, the product even better. And uh, we're going to look to expand upon some of the stuff that we did in the, um, the limited amount of time uh, we spent in off-season recording last year. I know we had Kenny Dillingham uh, towards the end of the summer prior to fall camp starting. We're going to look to have more coaches on this off-season, and Justin's going to be a big part of helping procure that. So um, I think that this is really just going to enhance the product and and uh, allow us to kind of dive deeper into some of the uh, recruiting-related stuff. And um, the best place to find that, obviously, is over on Scoop Duck. So if you're not already a subscriber, I uh, highly recommend uh, making your way over there because Justin's been putting out as much info as I can remember him putting out at any point in the last five, 10 years. So, And, and with signing day coming up in uh, what eight days now, uh, where, where it's the perfect time to start this new partnership. So I'm very excited about it. Uh, with that yeah. being said, why don't we, uh, we jump into it before we jump into the recruiting and transfer portal and all that stuff. I do want to uh, give a shout out to the pirate mike leach um you know coach of mississippi state former coach of washington state and texas tech passed away um last night or this morning as we record this now and and obviously mike leach was was a big influence on the sport of football in texas high school football certainly in college football with with air raid but also just you know such a unique individual i'm sure we all have you know many fond memories of, of some of his crazy interviews that he's given over the years, especially, you know, when he was there in the Pac-12 and we got to see it up close and personal. And so just, you know, um, best regards to him, his fan base, his family, you know, everybody. And, and you know, we lost a good one. Yeah, um, I would highly recommend to anybody, if you haven't already read it, um, Swing Your Sword, which is Leach's book, is a fantastic read. It kind of it's part biography and then in part life lessons slash football related stuff um kind of kind of going through his life from uh, younger years through college the, the the development of their air raid offense with how mummy um and then just kind of how those lessons can be applied to your life in a lot of different ways and i think uh i think he was a really impactful guy i had some friends that played for him at washington state um and they all raved about the human being he was uh he's quirky but he was extremely competitive and i think that his success across the board really speaks for itself he's one of the very few people that's done something actually new in football in the last 40 years i think there's been a lot of copy football is a cyclical game and it's a copycat game um and he he developed him and how Mummy developed the system they ran that system um, and it was unique in a lot of ways. I mean, it's impacted a lot of different of the a lot of different offensive minds. I mean, some of the best co- offensive coaches in football right now stem from his tree. Um, I know that Oregon, when uh, Mario Cristobal was here, was making a habit of poaching coaches from the uh, Mike Leach staff. He did a fantastic job at every stop of hiring great assistants, and you could see that like his coaching tree has spread throughout college football. I mean, Lincoln Riley um, was there, and obviously coaches Oregon is familiar with, whether it be Joe Salvea or Jim Mastro or Ken Wilson, who's now the head coach at Nevada. Um, a lot of really good coaches. I know a lot of that. They all have really good things to say about Coach Leach. And so big loss for the sport, um, but the mark and the imprint that he's made on the sport, both schematically and in, ter- in terms of impacting human lives, has been felt by a lot of people. So uh, rest in peace to the Pirate, and uh, we really appreciate all the all the things that he did to make the sport better. 
Yeah, I always said about Mike Leach that he's the one coach uh, I'd like to cover most <laughs> doing what I do. And I, I just think his press conferences were great. Um, you know, like you guys both noted, he had such a huge impact on the sport. Uh, you know, just some of his rants talking about candy corn and Bigfoot and some of the other fun stuff you'd, you know, see in his interviews or hear, hear in his interviews. Uh, I think he was just kind of genuine. And I think that's, you know, I don't know that I want to call that rare anymore in the coaching world, but um, it is very refreshing to have that. And uh, it, it's just a, a wild story and an, and an unfortunate ending. But uh, yeah, just uh, like I said, I, I have a ton of respect for Coach Leach. He produced some really, really good football minds and football coaches that uh, people were more than happy to poach from him uh, at bigger schools. So I think that says a lot, a lot about him as well. Yeah, so let's pour one out for the, the Pirate. Um, yeah, transitioning over now, it's transfer portal season. The portal opened last Monday, and uh, we, Oregon has had what about what are we up to? 14, 15, 16 guys. I can't keep track of them now in the portal, right? We, we reported on a lot of them last week. The most recent entries this week, uh, Jonathan Flo following his brother into the portal. No real surprise there. I think one that, that probably was a surprise to a lot of Duck fans is Maliki Mataveo. Um, any any thoughts on either of these two? Uh, QB, let's start with you. <laughs> well, I had uh, updated my spreadsheet a couple weeks ago, and I had removed flow when Justin entered the portal. So um, I, I guess I thought I had already seen it, so I didn't have to make any adjustments to my expectations with him entering the portal. Um, he's not a guy that's played any snaps at Oregon. Uh, I'm not really sure kind of what his status was following the season, but it's it's definitely not surprising to see him go. Whereas Maliki Matavao was definitely more of a surprise, but it's also understanding in the same way. I mean, I think uh, looking at just breakdowns of snaps a year ago, Oregon ran about 68% 11 personnel um, to 28.5% 12. So one tight end versus two tight end sets. That's not going to be increasing under Will Stein. If you look at his splits at UTSA as the play caller, they were even more heavy 11 personnel than Oregon was uh, the last few years. And I think that if you look at receiver recruiting, um, and just the general direction of the offense under uh, under Dan Lanning as the head coach, I, I would understand a guy who is kind of fighting for second fiddle behind Terrence Ferguson in terms of snaps and and really in terms of targets. Um, the other three the other three tight ends that played a majority of snaps outside of Ferguson did not combine to reach the same number of targets in the passing game that Ferguson did. So if you're a guy that has a lot of talent, which Montevale absolutely does have. Um, who's looking to be more of a focal point and, and be more of a go-to player as a tight end and not be a name in a, in a list of names. Leaving is a good way to do that. And I, I totally respect his decision and understand the motivations behind it. And frankly, it might be a good thing for him in terms of um, putting up the production and getting more quality film as a pass catcher that will be required for him to go to the NFL draft. So um, definitely no hard feelings. Really, really good player. I think he was Oregon's best inline blocker this last year, and so that's a role that Oregon will have to look to to replace either with guys that have already been contributing or, or bringing guys in through prep recruiting. Uh, but overall, I think the the loss is significant in that he played a valuable role, but it's not significant in the fact of the matter is you can only play one tight end, uh, and Oregon still is on paper returning three right now that have played a lot of quality snaps. Yeah, I, I think, uh, like you said, um, it's fair to call him a loss. It's fair to say he's a good player. I think that he will find a better fit um, elsewhere. I, 
like, should that be USC? I don't really think that that's a great fit for him, but I do think that there are offenses that are a little bit better tailor tailor made for his skill set. Um, but by no means am I going to jump on here and say he's irreplaceable, right? Like, hey, that's a devastating loss. What does Oregon do? Um, but it doesn't make him a, uh, any less of a, of a talented player. I just think once, you know, Oregon transitioned to the Kenny Dillingham offense, which, you know, the Will Stein offense is probably going to closely resemble that in many ways. Yeah, it just kind of makes him an odd fit. And I, I think he's a talented player. That's early enough in his career that it's it's more than natural for him to go find a home that, you know, he feels he might get, uh, you know, a little more run with and, and more snaps. And and uh, I think he did it the right way. He I don't think he burned any bridges. He didn't quit through the season. He did, didn't get on social media and 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 put the the staff on blast. He just said, "Hey, I'm going to go, you know, jump in the portal and find a better opportunity. Good luck, everybody." And uh, I mean, that's just kind of what fans need to get used to at this point. Ferguson like commanded so much attention in the passing game from the tight end position. Uh, he had 37 targets on the season. All these other guys were either in single digits or the teens. And I'm talking about Cam McCormick, Patrick Herbert, and Maliki Matavao. Um, Herbert with the least of targets of that group, and. It, in a situation where it's looking like Oregon's going to play a less, less and less um, 12 personnel outside of like situational football. I think there's a lot of places that could take a player like Montevideo, make him the focal point at the tight end position as your starting guy um, and get him more looks. And so I think a place like Utah would be a really good fit for that. Um, I think Arizona state with coach Dillingham would be a really good spot for that. Uh, but he, I, if I'm him in the portal, I'm absolutely looking for opportunities to go be the number one tight end on a team that doesn't have as much depth and, and isn't as interested in rotating as Oregon has been. Yeah, and then just to follow up, I mean, like you said, Jonathan Flo, you'd already written him down even before he announced, uh, you know, an obvious transfer is obvious at that point. So I, I do think maybe put, putting a pin on, on the transfers, you know, to date, you know, Justin Justin Flo is the biggest loss by ranking. I think Dante Thornton is the biggest loss by production, um, and 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 probably a guy that you would really like to have back. Um, you know, Maliki Matavau, uh, uh, you know, is a bit of a loss, but again, almost to your point, which you said earlier, Andrew, you were almost hurting yourself by taking Terrence Ferguson off the field and putting Maliki Matavau out there in your offense. So, you know, naturally, of course, Oregon was going to keep Ferguson out there more, which it just, it just fit what they were doing. So yeah, right now, I don't know about you guys, but you see it on Twitter, the message boards, people freaking out about the number of transfers. This was expected. This is what Dan Landing needed to do. Uh, and, and I'm fully confident. I believe you guys are that he's, he's really going to capitalize on these scholarships available to him now. Yeah, I, you know, QB put this out on Twitter earlier, and I, it tracks with my my tracker as well. Is where you know I got Oregon pegged at 84 guys right now. That includes everybody currently on the roster, plus the the commits and the transfers in that we know about. But doesn't include removing any potential NFL um, NFL entries that haven't declared yet. So, uh, as we know, we're still hunting, and we'll talk about this in the, in the next segment. We're still hunting some three to five more prep kids and probably that many more portal kids. So if you got 85 limit and we're at 84, we're, there's still going to need to be more room to be made. And and I don't want to speculate on who that might be, but I, I think, you know, duck fans shouldn't be surprised to see another, you know, up to half a dozen more, more guys leave, whether that's now after the bowl game or, or sometime in the spring, but uh, we'll, we'll see that play out. You know, I have a theory I've been kind of working with. I wonder what you both think of this. So, 
in this new kind of era we're in with you know instant eligibility transfers and and nil and everything going forward in the player movement era i'm kind of wondering uh, to me this my theory is if you're a high level recruit and you come into a program it feels like two years is kind of an inflection point right you're two years in a program and either you have established yourself as a starter or a high level contributor in a position you're comfortable with or that's the time when you want to start looking uh, for a new opportunity. It feels like one year's too soon in most cases. That doesn't mean there won't be one-year transfers. Usually that's a fit or a homesickness or other factors like that. But after two years, it feels more like a football decision. And if you wait three, then, you know, are, what's the market for you at that point? You know, there's going to be a lot less interest in the portal for someone who's maybe only got a year of eligibility left than, than two. So it, it, what do you think? Is my theory crazy? Does it have merit? I've always operated under the assumption that it's three. So going into year three, if you're not in a position to contribute in a serious way, um, it's unlikely that you're going to get to that place, right? Because especially with the way that Oregon's been recruiting since Willie Taggart got to Oregon, like there's talent coming in. Like they are recruiting over the top of everybody. They are recruiting guys to come in and take jobs. And so with there's some specific, Specific stuff based on position. I think offensive line and defensive line would be spots where you might see guys who are who require a little bit more physical development that that just naturally takes time. But if going into your third year there isn't a substantial role in the two deep for you, those are the guys that are usually easiest to project that they're going to leave. So a guy that's going to be a redshirt sophomore or a guy that's going to be a junior. Um, but a guy that's going to be a true junior likely has already played a lot of snaps. So I think it's really guys who redshirted as a freshman, um, did not contribute as a redshirt freshman, and are looking into their redshirt sophomore year. Where do they stand? Because I think if you look at the current Oregon roster, that's where most of the of the transfers have taken place, is out of that so- redshirt sophomore-to-be class. Oregon's currently at 14 of those. Um, and while Justin talks, I'll pull up where we were prior to any of the attrition taking place, but I'm pretty sure we were close to 30. Um, and so that's, that's where most of the attrition has been. Yeah, I think it's a great theory. Um, you know, I think with the acceleration, as we'll call it, of the transfer portal, okay, a byproduct of that is going to be and has to be getting processed. Coaches are going to start processing kids more and more frequently. It's just going to happen, especially if you're wanting to be that championship caliber team. I, I wonder a couple of things. I think with the playoffs expanding to four teams, you know, obviously that opens a little bit more of a, of a window for you to get in and compete for a national championship. Now, as we look ahead in a couple of years, that'll expand to 12, you know, that window's even bigger, which means that ultimately you're not going to want to be carrying too many, uh, we'll just, we'll just call it dead weight. Okay. You just don't want to carry all that much dead weight. So for example, if you're in a tight end room, okay. And we, we all know, okay. Every, everybody's played football long enough to know that if you're in a tight end room and there's five guys in the tight end room, that's more than likely at least, at least one too many. Okay. And if you're kind of sitting there, look around going, well, I haven't gotten many, as many snaps. These two guys in front of me uh, are the same uh, grade as me, the same, you know, maybe one year ahead of me, not far off. They're going to be around a couple more years. Um, you know, like the, the saying goes, if you're not sure if it's you, it's probably you. So, you, you know, you, you probably need to make that move on your own or more than likely it's going to happen uh, for you without a choice. So, yeah, I think the, I think the two year window is, is right. Some cases you could push to three. 
maybe with more of a developmental group like offensive line or defensive line, uh, you know, maybe being kind of the exceptions there. But but otherwise, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, that two to two and a half year window, whatever you want to call it, although it's a bit, it's been a little different because of the, the extra COVID year everybody got. But um, that'll go away at some point. Yeah, and that's important to notice. Note too is that a lot of this roster management stuff was completely jacked up by COVID. Um, a lot of guys with extra years being able to exercise that extra year screwed up the numbers, and so now the twenty-one class was the first post-COVID class, and those guys are juniors to be. So there's not a lot of guys left with COVID eligibility. There's a few, but for the most part, if those guys aren't on the field, they're they're leaving. I mean, we've seen a lot of guys leave from the 2020 class. Um, I think most of the 2020 class has gone actually. And, and frankly, a lot of the 21 class has gone at this point as well. So uh, I think we're starting to see more roster balance come about the last few years. It's been super weird because you just have a ton of artificial sophomores that were really juniors or seniors um, based on the ability to play and keep a year and actually not use your red shirt. Um, and so, the roster is starting to look more normal in, tel- in terms of eligibility. I mean, Oregon only has 14 seniors on the roster um, and some and a handful of redshirt juniors who had obviously a COVID year. So uh, everybody else pretty much, with the exception of a couple of redshirt sophomores, um, is using traditional eligibility at this point. Yeah, so let's talk about some of the transfers in now. Uh, Morgan picked up two transfers this past uh, weekend, or, or, or coming off this past weekend, the first visit weekend. The first one uh, coming over from Iowa, linebacker Justin Jacobs, played a lot of kind of their third linebacker in 2021, played a lot of snaps, uh, was hurt most of 2022 season. He was a four-star coming out of high school. Justin, can you tell us a little background about this uh, recruitment of Jacobs to Oregon? Yeah, I, you know, obviously, uh, Andrew will have a really good breakdown had a great evaluation of him uh, on Scoop Duck. Just from what I've heard and been told, I mean, the staff is just super excited about about this player. They, the, the, the injury is not a concern. Um, they're ready for him to come in uh, and get ready to start, you know, going through the strength and conditioning program and then getting ready for spring football, which is going to be uh, critical for him. It doesn't take a genius to recognize that Oregon's linebacking crew this past season was a major liability on defense, as was the defense a liability as a whole for the team. So, you know, getting a guy like this with experience that has the size that he does, um, you know, Oregon still needs to find, you know, more of a pass rushing threat to come out of that linebacker area. That's not where Jacobs excels. But I think one of the criti- or a couple of the criticisms that maybe most folks had uh, with Noah Sewell at times and definitely with Justin Flo is just their ability to read and react. Right. Those guys literally would see the football hike and just run straight up the field. And, uh, you know, that created some some issues with the defense. I think Jacobs excels in that area, being able to recognize plays. Uh, he's he's a very sure handed tackler. Uh, and I do know that uh, Ohio State was one of several programs that made a massive push to get him. Uh, the Ducks were able to get him on campus right away and were able to lock him up. So, I mean, just as far as the staff is concerned, this is a guy that they feel really confident in contributing right away and coming in and competing for a starting spot. Uh, and once again, this is an area that Oregon needs to fix. Uh, I'm sure Andrew's got some thoughts as well, but it's a great pickup for Oregon. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll talk about him more as a player. I don't, I don't know how it all came about, but 
um, I was able to get access to the All-22 on all of Jacob's 21 and 22 film. Only played 39 plays this year, suffered a lower leg injury. It sounds like it was an ankle from the limited research I did on the Iowa side. Um, but, yeah, just watching him as a player. So there's been a lot of misconceptions that he's like a Noah Sewell replacement. Um, Noah Sewell hasn't yet opted into the draft, and I'm actually really interested to see what that decision ends up being. Because um, I think that there's been – I mean, I'm still seeing mocks of Noah Sewell being a first-round pick. Um, I will gladly take anybody's money that he doesn't get drafted on day one. But that's not the point. Uh, Jacobs Jacobs plays in a 4-3 defense under, at Iowa. Um, they still play a lot of base defense, even against 11 personnel, meaning that they're not really they, – they're not subbing. At least in, in 2021, they were not subbing to nickel, taking a linebacker out and putting in a – um, another defensive back. What they were doing actually was Jacobs, who was the Sam linebacker in that system. So think of, think back all the way to 2016. I know a lot of people blacked that out from their memory, uh, but Troy Dye as a true freshman played the Sam linebacker in Brady Hoke's 4-3 system, which was very, very similar in regards to structure to what Iowa does. Um, and he made a lot of plays as an overhang player um, and also playing off the ball over the slot and coverage. And that's kind of what J- uh, Jacob's role has been at Iowa. So uh, he's been playing both inside linebacker and Sam. He's not played on the edge at all um, outside of those over and under alignments from the 43. So he's a guy that has really played a lot in space, which is strange to say about a guy that's 6'4 and 240 pounds. Um, his best asset in regards to the film study I was I did was his pass coverage. Um, he'll, he'll step on onto the field and be the best coverage outside linebacker that Oregon has. Uh, he, he's a guy that, despite not being extremely explosive fast, um, has a really good feel for coverage. He can he can redirect and, and friction guys off the line of scrimmage to disrupt timing, but he also has really good body control and balance. And so he's able to give ground, but stay attached. And then at the top of the route, he's able to stick to guys um, and not give up tons of space, which has been one of the more glaring issues for Oregon, not just in 2022, but also in 2021 was the ability for linebackers to cover. Jeffrey Bossa was very good this year for Oregon, but pretty much everybody else that played it inside linebacker outside a couple flash plays from Keith Brown, really struggled in coverage. Um, I think that Jacobs projects in the same jack role that DJ Johnson and Mace Funa um, played a lot this year. So you'll see him playing more as a true edge player. Uh, But I think where he excels on the edge is going to be as a run defender. Um, He's a really, really good tackler. He's got good length. He's able to stack and shed blocks on the edge. Um, He's able to get off and, and drop into coverage when they do simulated pressures. And he's not going to be a liability in those situations. And and the, one of the things that I like most about him is that he's a very, very good tackler. He takes good angles to the ball. Um, he understands leverage. And when he gets his hands on guys, they go to the ground. Uh, there's not there's not a lot of yards after contact, regardless of the situation with, with Jacob. So I think this is a really good pickup. I'm actually a little bit intrigued to see what Mace Funa's decision is after the bowl game, if he plans to come back. Um, he technically has one more year of eligibility, but he's already played four straight years for Oregon, 2019, 2021, and now 22. So it, I don't think he's a guy that really stands to improve his draft stock by coming back. Does he decide to just go try to make some money in the NFL, um, or does he try to play at Oregon for another year in hopes of making some kind of physical improvement that would make him more appealing to NFL scouts? So that's an interesting decision, and I think that Jacobs um, would – be able to step into that role no problem as a day one starter if Funa's decision was to go test the NFL waters now as opposed to later. Um, 
But like Justin said, I think that this doesn't fulfill the need for pass rush um, in the same way that I think others are projecting it does. Uh, Oregon absolutely still needs to target at least one, probably two more edge rushers uh, in the portal that can really come in and add some explosiveness off the edge. Yeah, easier said than done on the, on the portal edge rushers, right? There's a there's a lot of people shopping for that, and doesn't seem to be a lot out there. But yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, let's move on to Treshawn Holden, uh, the wide receiver uh, portal transfer to Oregon from Alabama. He was a class of 2020 commit, uh, four star recruit in Alabama. In the last, he didn't play as a freshman last two seasons. Uh, 46 catches, 570 yards, seven touchdowns, with six of those touchdowns being this year. Um, uh, you know, Andrew, what, tell us a little bit about what you think of Holden. Yeah. Uh, Holden played, a, so he played about 37% of snaps for, for Alabama at receiver in, uh, 2022. So he was kind of the third guy really in that group behind Jermaine Burton, um, and Ja'Cory Brooks at Alabama, uh, played a lot of outside receiver, um, away from trips, Really, he was dependable. He only had 36 targets, but he did have 25 catches uh, for 331 yards and six touchdowns. Um, in regards to the skill set, I think what what you're replacing with Holden is you're replacing the the production lost by Coda. Um, very similar athletically to Coda. He's more fluid in the short area. He's more quick and explosive, quick in the short area. Um, but Coda might be a like a hair faster long speed wise, which is actually one of the more impressive things I think about Coda. Um, in the 2022 season was his ability post-catch once he got unraveled. Again, not not quick, but but fast once he got those legs unwrapped um, vertical. So that'll be that'll be an area where Holden, uh, I think, will give pretty similar production. The, Holden will step onto campus and be Oregon's best perimeter blocker day one. He's, got, he's an absolute dog on the edge, really good perimeter blocker. This was an area that Coda was actually very poor this year. Uh, frankly, all of Oregon receivers were very poor perimeter blocking this year. Um, and so I think to me, that is a huge asset that people will over- overlook in this commitment. Um, he's long, he's physical, he's 6'3", 214 pounds, big kid, can run the whole route tree, um, took took a 27-yard screen to the house against Auburn in the last game of the season for Bama. Uh, I think he's got he's got utility throughout the route tree at every level. Um, physically, he does a good job of boxing guys out to make t- make make catches he's got enough wiggle and flexibility at the break point of routes to create separation and frankly like just watching all of his tape from this year the one thing that i noticed that's a common denominator was that every corner he played would be in the top five percent of nfl corners or not five nfl corners a pack 12 corners um and pack 12 corners are just not very good on average right now uh and so he's going to be going up against a lot less resistance in this league than what he's used to in the SEC, frankly. Um, so I think his production was good. He was clearly not the number one or number two guy in that offense, but I think he was a pretty solid number three. Um, and I think that with him at Oregon, you're kind of looking for more of the same. I think he'll get more targets as a product of a less deep rotation, uh, but he'll be a nice counterbalance opposite of Troy Franklin, give you another big physical target on the outside, and he's really going to improve your your perimeter blocking. Well, let's, yeah, I mean, this was a guy, there's a lot of really good wide receivers in the portal, and it's clear that Oregon uh, prioritized Holden uh, over the others. Now, maybe that was based on, you know, the chances to, to land him versus some of the others and, and things of that nature, but 
you know, now you kind of look at this and you assume that whatever quarterback uh, leads Oregon next season, whether it's Bo Nix returning or Dante Moore or, or whatever the case might be, uh, that that quarterback's uh, going to basically take a snap and decide if he wants to throw the ball to Troy Franklin, Jurion Dickey, or Trayshawn Holden. And let's be real, that's going to be the three guys that he's going to, you know, take a snap back and look. And then you got Bucky Irving behind you. Uh, you we've got Terrence Ferguson that remains at Oregon, obviously the top uh, pass catching tight end option. So whoever that quarterback is, has got to be licking their chops and thinking, man, I got a guy like Holden who really compliments, compliments, excuse me, you know, what Dickey uh, and Franklin bring to the table. Uh, and all of a sudden we're talking more than likely about Oregon's best wide receiving unit in probably the last decade, I would say, at least at least talent wise. Obviously, st- statistically, they're not there yet, but um, this is probably going to be their most talented group to start the season in a long, long time. So uh, that's why Holden makes sense. And I do think that Oregon's not done uh, in the transfer portal at the wide receiver position as well. Yeah, that's that was going to be my next question to you, Justin, was in regards to taking one more. And I, I think that Oregon needs one more. I think that there's could be some more attrition out of this room um, here after the bowl game. And I think that in terms of getting to and floating around, like it, the average Pac-12 or Pac-12 Power 5 roster wants to carry somewhere between 10 and 12 receivers. Currently, Oregon's at 10. Um, but I think that there could be obviously one added through the prep ranks, which we'll talk about. Um, but adding one more through the portal also will get you to 12, and it'll also cushion you against any potential losses following the bull game through the portal. Uh, we saw this year, and I, I like that you said about Oregon's talent receiver being the best it's been. This has kind of been a ongoing trend that we've said every offseason, and I don't mean that to say that you're wrong. I mean that to say that Oregon has been pretty poor in terms of talent at receiver for even during the Chip Kelly era when we were winning a lot of games. Like There wasn't a lot of depth of talent at the outside receiver position and it's been continually improving. I think that with Troy Franklin returning as one of, if not the best receiver in the conference um, and some of these other names that are being added and the guys that are coming up through the program, whether it's a Kyler Casper or a Jurian Dickey or an Ashton Cozart, I think that you're in a position now where you have some substantial depth and quality of depth, uh, which is partially why I think Maliki Matavayal made the decision he made, is that it makes a lot more sense if you're Oregon, to, if you want to be explosive offensively, which Lanning has proven to want to be, to play three of these guys as opposed to playing two tight ends. Um, and so Holden, I think, really enhances this room. He adds a bigger, more physical presence in terms of just raw size um, and, and physical development. He's stronger than a lot of these other guys just because he's been in college. Uh, and it's important to note, he's got two years of eligibility remaining, and I don't know that he's a for sure one and done NFL guy. So uh, I think that this might be a, a two year deal for Oregon and Trayshawn Holden. Yeah. And there's still some other really good receivers just from the PAC 12 alone, you know, singer from Arizona's in the portal, uh, stribbling from Washington state's in the portal. Um, of course the news, I think that we saw earlier is that Jeremy Bernard uh, from Michigan state's going to jump in the portal. The obvious connection there with junior Adams while he was committed to Washington during that time period. So like you were kind of saying, Oregon does have room to add one more, more than likely would probably look at the guys in the portal. And, uh, you know, now you're looking at, you know, what do you look at? You look at four or five, maybe even six pretty deep, pretty strong receivers for Oregon. Whereas to your point in the past, you know, it's kind of been one and done. You'd you'd get it. You'd be counting on Dylan Mitchell to carry the team. You'd be counting on Jeff Mayo to carry the team or whatever the case might be. Uh, now you've got options, and they're definitely very explosive out wide with this group. A couple other positions 
that Oregon appears to be going after in the portal, which I think are absolutely needed, uh, you know, offensive tackle uh, primarily along the offensive line, the tackle position, I think is where we need some portal help. And then uh, corner. Uh, when you obviously we had uh, Kyrie Jackson in this weekend from the Alabama transfer. I think we're hosting the the offensive tackle from Rhode Island uh, right now. So any thoughts there, Justin? Yeah, I, I I mean I'm with you. I mean I don't. Oregon's got holes, right? I mean that's the thing. If they want to be a national championship contender, which I know that that is what Dan Lanning wants. He's he is. I mean, he is pushing as hard as he is in recruiting through the transfer portal. Um, and, and, you know, we'll just call it and by processing people because he wants to build a championship roster. I do think offensive tackle is one of the position groups that they are in desperate need of. And not just like a body like, oh, let's just get somebody and stick him out there. Let's get somebody that helps us win right now. Let's get somebody that's ready made. Let's let's go find some guys. And, you know, I I think that one of the very, very top guys that they want on the transfer portal is Ajani Cornelius, the, the Rhode Island offensive tackle transfer that you were alluding to. So that's the guy who did take an official visit this weekend, um, visited Nebraska, got done with that trip, immediately came to Oregon. Um, we'll kind of work on the details of if he's got any left or what the case might be. But, you know, clearly a guy that Oregon's got circled. Uh, it's a guy that they need. I think, um, I think, Offensive, okay, under the assumption that Bo Nix returns and or Dante Moore signs, I think offensive tackles really the only position Oregon needs on offense to get through the transfer portal, um, and it's a huge need for sure. So to your point, back on defense, yeah, secondary, Kyrie Jackson, uh, teammate of, of Treshawn Holden at Alabama, you know, that he was a, an elite recruit at a high school coming out of Maryland. Um, he's got the size. He's got the pedigree. Just, I, you know, I don't know that he's put necessarily put it all together at Alabama, but um, as QB or sorry, Andrew alluded to earlier, uh, you can be a decent cornerback in the SEC and come out and be a great cornerback in the Pac-12. And that's just the that's just realistic. And I think that, uh, you know, we saw a change of scenery benefit Bo Nix. I think it could benefit Holden. I think it could benefit Kyrie Jackson as well. Um, so that's another position that Oregon seems to be very active in as well. It's going to be specifically cornerback, um, but they could also use safety help as well. So, yeah, those are a couple of the guys to, to put on the radar right now. Um, and something kind of circling back to what you said earlier, Doug, is that let's just say Oregon's at, it doesn't matter whether they're at 84 or 85 scholarship players right now. You can be off one or two. It doesn't matter. Everybody's kind of got a little different number, but we'll say it's around 84 or 85. That means moving forward, you're at a one-for-one, one, right? So if you're going to take uh, Trayshawn Holder, you're going to take Kyrie Jackson, or you're going to get you know, an offensive tackle or whatever, you're at a one-for-one. One. So if you're going to take one of those guys, that means somebody's got to leave your roster. Um, and fans just need to be prepared for that, that when they're excited about the next commit, the next transfer commit, whatever the case might be, that means somebody's leaving your program. Yeah, and I, I think, uh, Doug, I don't mean to interrupt you if you want to jump in here real quick, but just wanted to give a little bit of a report on Ajani, uh, Cornelius and Kyrie Jackson. Cause again, I've been able to watch quite a substantial amount of their film. I was able to watch Cornelius against Pitt this year. And then also against Albany last year. And people would be like, well, why Albany? Well, Albany had Jared verse who uh, is likely to be a very high pick out of Florida state this year, who was by far the best edge rusher out of the transfer portal. Um, a, a cycle ago, Cornelius to me is a player that 
he, he's substantially better than the other options I've seen linked to Oregon at the tackle position. I've, I've seen uh, Jared Byers from UTEP mentioned. Um, and frankly, Bear Byers is, in my opinion, not all that great. Um, he, he's, he's got some ability, but he's definitely more of a guard than a tackle. And even Cornelius, I think Cornelius kind of fits into the mold of the tackles we had last year, whether it was Sala or Bass. I think both of those guys end up moving inside at the next level. I think that Cornelius' future in regards to the NFL is on the inside of the offensive line. So getting Cornelius gives you an insurance policy at the right tackle position if, you, if you're if you unable to close on someone like Caden Proctor. But the best-case scenario is, is you get both, right? And Proctor can come in and play the right tackle, and you put in Cornelius at right guard, and you just try to enhance the offensive line to the best of your ability. Uh, but Cornelius is a good player, and Cornelius showed out really well against a group of, of edge players from Pitt that's very talented, um, and against Jared Verse, who is one of the more explosive and flexible end players in this upcoming draft cycle. So a uh, lot, of, lot of really good tape on Cornelius. In regards to Jackson, Jackson didn't play a ton. Um, I think he only had about 30 snaps in coverage this year. The the big thing for for Jackson was is that he just had the misfortune of playing behind um, some really, really good players in Kool-Aid McKinstry and uh, Elias Ricks, the LSU transfer. Those are both high-level top three-round NFL prospects right now at corner. Um, and so the the reps are going to be limited. He also suffered an ankle injury um, against Mississippi State that held him out for a substantial chunk of the season. Kyrie Jackson's a really good athlete. He's a really he's got he's a really physical player on the edge. Um, from the corner spot, he'd be probably Oregon's best tackler day one. I, I think that he's a player, given the opportunity with another offseason to develop, could be a legitimate top-flight corner in this league. So other than tackle and corner and we've talked about linebacker and wide receiver already it feels like the elephant in the room out of the portal standpoint at least is is that edge position is there anybody you see on the radar out there in the portal that that oregon may have a good chance at or that we should be going after and maybe it's under the radar or or just who we like there that might be able to help this group not really like right (laughs) I'm, i'm watching as much tape on these kids as possible. I've, I've gotten access to a platform that gives me access to all 22 on every power five and G five kids. So a kid hits the portal. I can fire up and watch cutups of just that kid. Um, like teams are fighting over not very good edge players right now. And it's really, really strange. Like there was this big rush last week when, um, who was the kid from uh, Georgia state you posted about Justin? Oh, Muhammad. Yeah. When Muhammad hit, he went to USC. Yeah committed to USC right away. Like I watched that guy's tape. He's not an impact player as a pass rusher. He looks good getting off the bus. He's he's too he's not very long for an edge player. Doesn't offer any type of vertical explosiveness or bend around the corner. Like he doesn't fix our problem. And so I think I've been really honestly pleasantly surprised with the discipline that this Oregon staff has shown and they're not just blowing like just shooting their shot on kids that have no business being at Oregon. Um, I think that they've done a good job of evaluating these kids quickly as they hit the portal and frankly, just kind of deciding to pass for now. I know that there's a whole nother transfer window. And I think that we're going to see kids continue to trickle in, um, especially once these New Year's six bowl games conclude um, those schools will, will experience attrition um, that m- that may have been deferred by the fact that they're playing in bigger bowl games and playoffs. Um, but there's, there's just not a lot of quality at the edge and, and really at offensive tackle either. That's why I think, 
getting a Johnny Cornelius is kind of a, a must get if you're Oregon. There's he's the best option right now, and there's no guarantee that better options are going to enter. Um, the two most valuable, I mean, what are the most valuable positions in football? Quarterback, protecting the quarterback, sacking the quarterback, and guys that can cover. And what we're seeing right now is guys that can cover, guys that can protect the quarterback, and guys that get after the quarterback are extremely in demand on 99.9% of rosters in college football. Everybody needs another pass rusher. Everybody needs another offensive tackle. Everybody needs another cover corner. And so it's going to be really, really competitive market in the portal for these types of guys, which is why prep recruiting is so important. You need to develop these kids. You need to bring these kids in so that you're not in a position where you're desperately hoping to fill needs in the portal. Um, it gives you a lot more flexibility. Just go out and get guys that enhance your roster as opposed to guys that you need to fundamentally be successful in the next season. So Oregon, I'm sure, is going to continue to evaluate every edge player, every offensive lineman, and every corner that hits the portal. Um, but if they can close on a guy like Kyrie Jackson, on a guy like Ajani, uh, Cornelius, that eliminates two needs, and really it all becomes about edge at that point for me. Obviously, it sounds like they would like to add another wide receiver. Just looking at numbers um, across our roster, I have our roster pulled up in front of me right now, broken down by a position. Like we're we're pretty heavy on defensive linemen right now, which I think is an area where post um, bowl game we're going to have additional attrition. But on the edge, we are desperately thin. Um, and we've got Funa, we've got Jacobs, neither of which offer a lot of pass rush. We've got Navarrete, who hasn't played at all, has been hurt a lot. We've got the two true freshmen of Winston and Jones, and then we've got the three guys, uh, who, they'll be red shirts next year, and then we've got the three guys committed currently and purchased more in Tuioti. Um, and I think that this kind of leads us into a, a question that I had for you, Justin, about Ashton Porter. I would assume they're projecting him as an edge player based on the film I've watched. It seems that it might almost be better, given the portal options currently, to just load up on prep guys and hope one of them's ready to go this year. Well, I think, uh, you know, I'll make the first point. I agree with, uh, I agree with you on, on, the, on this point that there is not an edge option. It was a great question by Doug, by the way, but there's not a great option at edge. Oregon does... Would I, I mean, if there was a surefire edge that hit the portal, I have no doubt that Oregon would be all over him. No doubt. And I just don't think that there's a guy in there that they're excited about. And it doesn't do you any good to go and bring a transfer in knowing you're going to have to process one of your players to get marginally better. And so I think they're being very selective there. Uh, and to your second point, which I also agree with, the next transfer window, I, I, if I'm making a guess, I think Oregon's like other schools has an inkling that there might be some, some guys on this Georgia, Alabama, you know, these bigger schools, maybe Michigan. I don't know. Some of these guys that, that will enter the portal uh, after either a New York six bowl game or, you know, playoff, uh, a playoff game that might happen. So there will be attrition again uh, in early January to, you know, that first, second week of January as well. Uh, and you're talking about rosters that have some really good players on. So I, I think Oregon's got an eye there. Haven't seen anybody that leaps, you know, ahead of them there. Uh, as for Porter, uh, to follow up on that, I think that I don't think Oregon was ready to take Porter in November. He was supposed to visit in November, and they they kind of canceled the visit, pushed it back. Uh, he's going to visit this coming weekend. And I do think that that's a bit of a byproduct of what jumped in the transfer portal at that position. Because like you said, does Oregon have a surefire edge guy on the roster? Not really. I mean, they've got some projects, they've got some bodies, but they don't have a dude. You don't have a, 
an upside like Dorlis. You don't have a, a Kayvon Thibodeau sitting there, a known commodity. So, yeah, you've got to go get some bodies and hope one of these guys pans out. I do think the lack of options currently at edge are what prompted Oregon to maybe kind of circle back around and reprioritize Porter. Um, and again, it doesn't hurt you by taking him. And if there's a really good edge player that jumps in in early January, um, you can go and get him and figure it out. I mean, you know, it kind of the catch and release that that, uh, you know, you've heard around the country. So I think that's kind of the plan. I think that's kind of how it played out. I kind of, you know, that's maybe foreshadowing a little bit of things to watch. Um, but yeah, yeah it, it's clear Oregon needs pass rush. Definitely. I, I yeah. don't think that pass rush is a long-term problem, Doug. Sorry. I know I interrupted you again. I'm, I'm the worst, but the, long-term, I love the group of pass walk, pass rushers that are coming in in this class, right? Like Blake purchase to me is a guy that's going to be a really good pass rusher at this level. Jaden Moore, I think is a guy that's probably going to need a red shirt, but will be a good pass rusher at some point. Uh, Tatum Tuioti is a player that I think will be an effective pass rusher. On the defensive line, guys like Washington, Gardner, Bowens, Green, those guys are all going to be good pass rushers from from the inside with some guys like Bowens having maybe some flexibility to push push out like push out a couple gaps in the same way that Brandon Dorless didn't rush from the edge. But for 2023, it's you're hoping that one of those guys is ready, but really you need to go find somebody who is already a guarantee to be ready. Um, if you want to have some assurances that your pass rush is going to improve from what was genuinely horrific in 2022. Yeah. I was going to comment on the fact that it, it clearly seems like the staff, you know, is loading up on both at the defensive line at the edge position, right. And, in, in, in the, with the seven total commits of those two positions on the freshman class, but then obviously they're still in the, the David Hicks uh, sweepstakes there, you know, to, to land him at the end. And obviously with Porter coming in now again, like they're just going to continue to stack, stack talent at those two positions. And and I like the fact, and you mentioned this earlier, QB, I like the fact that they aren't settling for guys. Right. And, and instead they're saying like, okay, if there's nobody, if there's no proven commodity in the portal, we'll take another high school kid instead who, who we like and, and who fits our profile and who can develop down the road. You're right. It still causes a hole for 2023, but that's a much better strategy. And, and to what uh, Justin said, you're right. You can come back in the next round of portal entries, you know, in January and, and hope maybe you can find uh, another gem in there that can plug the hole for 23. But I mean, yeah, I, I mean, it's smart. You have two options. If you're, if you're Marshall Malchow and Dan Lanning, Malco and, and Dan Lanning at Oregon, you with, with what is currently, available in the portal in regards to inventory on the edge you can take a guy that is a jag jag just a guy a guy that we know that is not a good pass rusher or a guy that really enhances our pass rush in any way but he does have experience or you can go get a guy with a projectable skill set and the tools you look for out of the high school ranks and then just use volume to hopefully have a guy that's ready to go for next year and I think that if with Porter potentially jumping into the fold on the edge, joining Blake Purchase, Tatum Tuioti, and Jaden Moore, I think that the odds are that one of those guys is ready to go early is pretty high. Like, like it's just you, it's a numbers game at that point. Whereas if you grab that, that transfer guy, that guy that has five sacks in the last three years at his old school, like your, your upside is limited. And, and frankly, you're going to be looking to process that guy out next year to make room for the next next crop so um the way i look at it is oregon is currently sitting at 84 scholarship players um i think we all anticipate and i'd be interested to hear what justin thinks about these numbers but 
Oregon would like to add a prep offensive lineman. It sounds like they're going to be adding a prep receiver and a prep edge player. That's three. Um, I think they're going to be adding probably an additional prep tight end, which is four. Um, pro- and I think that they will be adding at least one, if not two defensive backs, which would be five or six. That's six guys. Plus Portal, they for sure want to add an edge. They for sure want to add a receiver. They for sure want to add a corner and an offensive lineman is four. So that's 10 more spots. You only have one available. So there's going to be more attrition. Oregon fans need to get used to it. It's what the game is now. The the days of guys camping in scholarship spots and not being producing players are over. Oregon's going to have to move on from about nine more players in order to get this roster to where they want it by spring. Um, and so I think that people need to be aware of that. Just brace for it. There's probably going to be some names of guys that you would rather not see leave um, as part of that group. So, uh, yeah. But also fans need to be aware that not only brace for it, but that this is actually a positive, not a negative. Right? Yeah, I know a absolutely. lot of other fan bases out there are going to try to say, oh, what's, what's wrong at Oregon? What's going wrong there? Nothing. Nothing is going wrong. It's going exactly as according to Dan and Marshall's plan and, and what is needed, frankly. And this is following exactly the trend line that happened. And, and again, I'm not saying, not pointing to Texas as an example of what is ideal because they only went eight and four this year. Dan did better than that in his first year. But year one at Texas, Sark maintained as much of the roster as possible, added via prep and portal as much as he possibly could. And then the, that following offseason after the first full year, he replaced almost 40% of the roster. And that's about in line with with what Lanning is doing right now. They're looking to bring in, we currently have what, 24 guys committed, Justin? Nope. Yeah, it's 24. Yep, sorry. sorry. Yeah, it is 24. Yeah, yeah sorry. So 24 guys committed. Let's say you add six more. That's 30. You'll say we already have two transfers. That's 32. If they look to add four more transfers, that's 36 new players um, that were not on the 85 last year. So that's a that's a very large proportion of the roster that's getting turned over, which I think for whatever questions um, you're you have about like what why weren't we better on defense or what what was what was the problem with this or that in regards to the 2022 Oregon football team? I think you I think that you can make some judgments based on the actions of the coaching staff in regards to reorganization of the roster and bringing in new names and, and those names being highly concentrated at certain positions, what they think the problem is. Um, and so I'm really looking forward to seeing what this roster looks like when Lanning and his staff are done assembling the, the players that are going to constitute this 2023 team, because the bones of this team are really strong, especially if Nix is returning, you're, you're returning every skill player that made any kind of meaningful impact in terms of production. You're returning a substantial chunk of your offensive line. You're returning some, some pretty damn good players on defense um, specifically in the front uh, and some guys with some experience in the secondary, but there's obviously a lot more holes and a lot more turnover on the defensive side of the ball um, than on the offensive side this year. Yeah, I know. uh, Like I said, I think the easiest way for fans just to kind of, you know, proceed moving forward is, is just kind of operate on the notion of a one for one, right? So anybody you get coming in in any fashion, whether it's a recruit or a transfer, pretty much more than likely Oregon's got to push one out. So, you know, when you see that player hit the portal, uh, ju- just kind of know that more than likely that's expected. I love your point about Sark, um, you know, and the way, you know, and, and that totally goes in with what Lanny, you know, Lanny come in. Uh, you're coming in in December. You don't want the team to just jump in the portal and leave you high and dry. So you do your best to keep as many players as you can get through a season, uh, you know, give yourself some time to recruit. 
And then year two, after you've won and people kind of believe in you and you've built relationships and you do these other things, you can do things a little differently as the head coach. And that's the, that's kind of the nature of college football now. And, and that's what I think you're seeing, you know, Dan Lanning do. He knows what it takes to win. He knows what he needs. And, and I think that uh, there's a couple of things that are really telling. First of all, uh, to my recollection, I can't remember anybody that jumped in the portal last year when Dan showed up that, that, he, that he, he visibly tried to get back. You know what I mean? He, Sean Dollars jumped in. They got him to come back out. Uh, Seven McGee jumped in. They were able to get him to come back out. I know some others talked about it. Uh, they were able to keep those guys in town. Secondly, okay, secondly, Oregon has had zero decommitments in this 2023 recruiting cycle. Zero. Not a single one to date. So it tells me that Dan Lanning's very good at making sure they get and keep the guys they want. And I think that that's important moving forward. I, I, I would wager if, if Lanning was speaking openly and honestly right now of the players that have hit the transfer portal for Oregon, Maliki Matavau is probably the only one that they would like to have back but aren't stressing about for reasons that we've talked already about. So I think his track record speaks for itself. Uh, and the sooner that fans kind of realize some of those facts that we just threw at them, you know, maybe the more, uh, maybe they will feel better about calming down. And I think that's going to be uh, important because, again, there's going to be more transfers out of this program in the next few weeks. Something really and, and important. I, go ahead, Doug. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I think if you go back to last year, what you said too is like, you know, Dan and his staff just came in, right? And, and people were jumping into the portal and and he didn't know what he had. Right. And so the fact that they were able to hold most of that recruiting class last year, add to it um, with some really big additions, uh, getting Florence back for one, uh, some others as well. But then also to get a lot of the guys that had done a quick portal to get them to come back out and stay at Oregon this year, I think really is, as we talked about a year ago, right, was a really good job by him and the staff. And then they didn't know what they had though, right? And now they had a year to figure out what they have and and conversely to figure out what they need. And so that's why I think you see a very big difference between what happened last year and what happened this year is just that year in, in here, being around the guys, seeing who's got what in practice and games and then making their evaluations based on, on that firsthand knowledge. Dan was hired on December 11th last year. Like Dan didn't have a lot of time to go and assess the roster and figure out what his needs were. He knew that they that they had done a pretty good job of recruiting and his job was to hold on to as many players as possible because he wasn't going to be able to go out and recruit a big full prep class of guys that they would have prioritized early in the cycle. Like it was the circumstances when you get hired that late in the process are very different set of circumstances to when you've been running the program for a full year, you've been able to go through a full prep recruiting cycle with your staff and your support staff and scouting team. And in now you've also had the benefit of working with this team for a full year and evaluating the roster hands on getting to understand what like the football character of some of these kids that have been hitting the portal is among other things. Right. And so you, they, they have a more holistic picture of what this roster is, what this roster needed um, and what this roster can be um, after a full year. I mean, look at, look at the transfer portal guys we brought in last year. It was a hundred percent hit rate outside of Caleb Chapman, who was always kind of a risky take just based on his injury history. And guess what? He was hurt most of this year as well. But guys like Jordan Riley and Casey Rogers and Taki Taimani were major contributors in the interior of the defensive line. Christian Gonzalez was probably our best player on defense in in general. It's gonna be a first round draft pick in April. Bo Nix 
as was fantastic and and really solved our quarterback issues in a way that hasn't been solved outside of get really lucking into both Marcus Mariota and Justin Herbert in the, the eight years prior. Um, guys, guys in the in in the transfer portal at other positions made lots of impacts for Oregon. So, I I think that if anything has been shown is that this staff does a tremendous job of talent evaluation, whether it's guys com- coming out of the portal, guys coming out of the high school ranks. Josh Connerly was a big commitment late in the cycle last year. He projects to be our starting left tackle next year. Like the, the recruiting wins are very, very noticeable. Jalil Florence was a true freshman like that you mentioned that actually played a pretty substantial and hefty number of snaps at corner this year, despite an injury. Um, so I, I don't know. I have a lot of faith. Uh, I, I'm obviously an Oregon fan. Um, this might be a slightly biased take, but I have a lot of faith in the staff. And I think that their track record already in just, I mean, two days, 367 days, is that they have a very good idea of what they're looking for from a traits and projectable, like, athletic skill set standpoint. Um, and they're good at acquiring it. And, all, like, our running back room is all Lachlan guys now. It's Whittington, Irvin. James and Dowdell, all guys that, that Coach Lachlan brought in. And I think that Noah Whittington and Bucky Irving were a substantial upgrade over what we've been used to. So um, it been a been a really good year for that staff, and I'm excited to see what they can do uh, down the home stretch here. Yep, I agree with what you said. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if Doug has anything to add on that. I, I know that he hasn't been able to talk as much. Um, but, yeah, I mean, again, I, I just – you know, look at the finished product and look at what, you know, Dan Lanning and his staff have been able to do. And I just don't see how you can't trust them to get this thing, you know, to keep this thing going the right way moving forward. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, um, you know, kind of circling back a little bit on the recruiting. I mean, obviously it was a big visit weekend this past weekend, Justin, you covered that over at Scoop Deck um, in, in detail. Obviously uh, another big weekend coming up this coming weekend, the last uh, recruiting weekend of the cycle before the early signing day. Uh, I'm sure you'll be uh, having names and announcements and, and all kinds of coverage over at Scoop Duck, you know, throughout. But is there any teasers you can give out or any info you can give out about what uh, Oregon fans should expect to see on campus in Eugene this weekend? Well, I mean, th- there's two things. And, and I think uh, I think one's pretty well, pretty well known at this point. It was it was almost it was courtesy of Ashton Porter. Uh, you know, Oregon, uh, the football team, the coaches are expecting Phil Knight to be around the program in some capacity this weekend, whether he's just showing up for dinner or hangs out for an afternoon or, and I mean, let's be real, any recruit that gets to show up and shake the hand of Phil Knight, that's going to get them excited, right? I mean, that's, I mean, that's a guy, that's, <laughs> that's, that's a dude. So, you know, I, I think it really speaks volumes that this, this, uh, you know, the, these coaches are really kind of circling this weekend, really trying to make that last big push, trying to kind of put a splash out there. You know, I think that's one of them. The second part is I I know that it's being talked about and discussed and has been kind of posted here and there, but you know, there's a lot of, of rumors circulating that, uh, you know, Dante Moore should be on campus this weekend. It's not a, a it's not a certainty. Uh, that's kind of maybe the hope and the goal that's being talked about. Maybe they already know about it and they just try not to leak it. But obviously, if Dante Moore does come back on campus, you've got to feel a lot better about Oregon hanging on to him. I've been pretty, I've been pretty consistent saying I, I think Oregon hangs on to him anyways. But you've got to feel really good about that happening. Um, you've got to feel really good that 
if Dante Moore does show up, it's going to reflect really well with those other visitors that you're bringing on that might not be committed or guys that are looking around, whatever the case might be. Um, you know, quite possibly, uh, it looks like Jurion Dickey might be on campus this weekend as again as well. So, you know, now you got a couple five stars there, a couple guys that that you know are kind of the future of your offense. Uh, I think it's shaping up to be a great weekend. I don't have the full list myself. We could even be in store for some some surprises because. Um, as far as I'm aware, I was the first and only one to mention Justin Jacobs, and that wasn't until Saturday until he was on campus, uh, you know, ended up committing to Oregon. But that's by design, right? These coaches do a really good job of trying to get some of these guys on campus. Uh, and it totally changes things. These guys get on campus, and if other schools find out, it obviously they can't talk them out of the visit first and foremost. But, you know, they're there, and these recruits tend to kind of put their phones away a little bit more and pay attention to the coaches. Um, so that's kind of the game within the game there for any coaching staff, but especially Oregon. So um, don't be surprised if we hear about some other names uh, come Saturday. Uh, and I'll give myself a plug. That, that's where you want to sign up for Scoop Duck and listen because the podcast and, and Twitter and things are great. But the real inside scoop that, that I can provide, you know, gets posted there first and foremost. So um, urge some of you to check it out if, if you're so inclined. And if you're already on there, I, I definitely appreciate everyone's support. Yeah, uh, yeah, great. Absolutely. I'm, I've been a <laughs> Scoop Duck member since the beginning, and, and it's always the go-to place for inside info and, and recruiting intel. Um, either of you have anything more we want to cover on this episode before we wrap it up? No, I think in general um, we've covered everything. I think there's going to be a lot more to talk about. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited with this new partnership with Justin to have him on for these um, – like post signing day or maybe even in the run up to signing day pods where we, we start to break down this class and more, uh, more in depth, get some more of the background. Um, but a lot of, a lot of good things happening right now on, on the Oregon front. I know that the season maybe had kind of a nasty stench to it after losing two of your last three to Oregon state and Washington, but a big opportunity to go get a win against, against uh, North Carolina in the holiday bowl. Uh, and then an opportunity to really make yourself better here in the first signing day on December 21st. So um, really excited about this, the future. Doug, you are not going to get railroaded on this podcast anymore. I refuse to talk over you. Um, <laughs> I, got, I got plenty I'm, of talking in I'm, today. I'm going to get good. you, I'm going to get you a mute button for me. So you could just shut me up whenever you need to. <laughs> no, I, 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 Hey, I think it worked out really well. We all got plenty, plenty of time to, to give our input today. So no worries. Perfect. Well, uh, with that being said, make sure to follow us uh, at QB11 Show on Twitter. Uh, follow Doug at Douglas TS. Follow Justin at Justin Hopkins SD. Uh, follow myself at QB11 SD. Um, make sure to subscribe to Scoop Duck. The, the coverage over there is fantastic. I know you uh, just recently made a new hire that I think is going to do a really good job in, on helping cover the recruiting of Oregon football. Um, Things are things are really exciting here coming into the new year, and I'm, I'm glad that, that we were able to make this happen. Yeah, I, I think that I'll be honest. I think this first podcast went better than I expected it to. I'll be. I mean, I know we're going to have some kinks, but um, I think if this is uh, if this is our ground floor, then our ceiling is really high. And so, uh, you know, again, I know you guys will. You know, I won't be on every single podcast, but if if we're doing this on a weekly basis or whatever the case might be. Um, I think this thing is going to come together really well and give Oregon fans the absolute best podcast to listen to uh, in our market. So I'm super excited to be working with you guys and I appreciate you guys support on the site um, with everything you do there. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just excited for the next few weeks. 
All right. Last thing we're going to ask Justin is what has been your glass? We know you're a, a beer aficionado. Um, what, what's been the go-to brew here this winter? Uh, you know what? J hop feels as though he's put on a little bit of winter weight and that always scares me because I'm a smaller guy, so I can't carry a lot of extra weight. So I'm not going to lie. I've been drinking more whiskey than I've been drinking beer lately. So I'm still drinking. (laughs) Uh, I really rolled up a pretty strong whiskey collection, got a few bottles of Blanton's, E.H. Taylor's, some other, um, you know, pretty hard to get stuff. So a lot of times if I've got a glass in my hand, it's either A, got a Kentucky mule in it, which is like a Moscow mule, just but with whiskey, if you didn't know, or I'm just sucking down an old fashioned. I don't know that it's made me any skinnier, but I'm, that's what I keep telling myself. So I got you. Well, we, we know that Doug's got a Zima can in his hands most times. <laughs> oh, damn. Come on. Come on, man. That's, that's only when he runs out Show of white claws. i'm more of the i am the basic white chick of the podcast so i think that's where i fall in line is um yeah don't hate on the claw so Uh, you know what i i've been trying to lose some some of that winter weight or summer weight or all year round weight that i carry and so i you know during football season at the tailgates i brought some white claws and it's not the same no it doesn't work for me (laughs) doug's a real He's a domestic loyalist. He's a big. He's a big Bud Light guy. Oh my God, no! Yeah. <laughs> I'm a micro micro bruise all the way, my friend. Well, I think at the tailgate I saw you at Doug. You did have the White Claw. However, you were you were helping you were helping show uh, you were helping get some Jello shots down as well. So I'll gi- I'll give you props for that. Excellent. Yeah, for well, sure. Now that we've all acknowledged that we're degenerate alcoholics, it's time to end the pod. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, we will be. A little bit inconsistent. We're going to try to keep pumping out two episodes a week, but obviously with holidays, holiday travel, um, Doug and Doug and Justin hosting family, myself kind of being en route across the country here for, for things. Um, it's going to be a little bit more hit or miss, but as soon as we hit the new year, uh, we're going to get back on our more regularly scheduled programming. But look for some, some signing day stuff and some other content coming up here very soon. Have a wonderful weekend and happy holidays.